All right, everyone, Phil Ebener with Jeremy Deegan back for another episode of the Online Course Masters show. This one is all about video equipment. We're talking about cameras, lighting, tips and tricks to improve your video and make sure it looks as professional as possible on any budget. As always, visit OnlineCourseMasters.com for show notes to view the video version of this episode and to see an archive of all our past guests. And also slam that community button at the top of the website and join our awesome group of fellow online course creators over on Facebook. As always, make sure while you're listening to hit a review and rating for this course wherever you're listening, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Whatever you're listening to this on, we appreciate all of the reviews and it helps us to be motivated to create more awesome content for you. So Jeremy, before we dive into video equipment, how are things going with you? How, how's the weather over on the other part of the country today? Oh man, it's beautiful outside. It's uh, been sunny. Uh, just the other day, uh, I think it was actually on that, that cruise that I took, I was talking to someone, I think they were from Chicago, and they're like, yeah, we just came out of the snow. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's the middle of April and yeah. it's still snowing. Like we've had like beach weather for like a month now. <laughs> um, but nice. yeah, I mean, how, how's the weather going with you? Is it going good? It's been nice. It's kind of like that perfect time, April, May, while we're recording this episode. It's that perfect yeah. time in California where it's, the, it's not too hot. So you can get out, go hiking during the middle of the day. In the summer, it's like you got to get out there really early or you're going to be dying. So it's perfect. Although the past couple of days, it started raining out of the blue, which I don't mind at all. It's a little chilly actually today. And I don't mind at all because I'm putting in a little grass, grassy area in my backyard, um, partly for my dog, partly for kids in the future to play around on. Um, but the, the rain has definitely been helping that. So I yeah, can't complain. I, I, I love this time of year. Now, when the summer hits, we'll get those Florida storms, mm -hmm. which like at two or three o'clock in the afternoon, we'll have like a torrential downpour and lightning for like uh, an hour and then it'll be gone and be like sunny outside. So it's so weird. Um, last week, we talked about audio equipment and we kind of hit on some of my stronger points because I love audio and I've worked in it. And this week we're talking about video equipment, which I have a little bit of experience, but I know that's your main experience. Um, so before we start, you know, we always talk a little bit about ourselves. Let's talk about some of the work that we've done mm -hmm. in the audio video space, because both of us kind of have that background. Now, I know that you have uh, created some documentaries. Uh, let's hear about some of that stuff that you've done in the past with actual audio video work. Yeah. So I went to film school. That was like my my background, my education. And so I went to Loyola Marymount University in California, one of the top 10 ranked film schools in the country. And I focused on film and TV production and within that editing. But throughout that program, we did all aspects of filmmaking. And that's when I fell in love with documentary work. And also through that, I feel like I was a little bit different than, or I was a part of like a smaller select group of students who were really interested in online video. Even back then in like 2007 to 2011 when I was in school, online video was starting to get popular, but it wasn't like as big as it was now. And so long ago. It, yeah, so long ago. <laughs> and, I mean, it actually is a little long ago because it's like been seven or eight years since I graduated, which is crazy to me to think about. <laughs> um, but back then it just wasn't as big of a thing. And a lot of people in school with me were really focused on Hollywood and making big budget films and going that route. I was always doing my own work and figuring out how to put my build websites and start my own businesses and things like that, even back then. Uh, so it's, it's kind of makes sense that I am where I am today using my video skills to teach online classes. Uh, but I still do have a passion for documentary making, um, a couple, uh, that I'm very proud of. Um, one was recently I did a documentary on a friend, Anthony, who's a photographer, and he was diagnosed with ALS, which is a terrible, terrible disease. He um, It's um, hereditary, but he basically loses all function of his, his muscles and slowly and it's kind of a pain it's a very painful process to watch mm -hmm. to see him from college where he was you know this guy skating around on a skateboard super active no problems at all to 
a cup a year and a half ago or two years ago when I was filming this documentary about him where he could still get up, control his camera, take pictures. But then now he, he can't lift a camera. He can't press buttons. He doesn't have that con- motor control to change settings on a camera. So it's a really crazy, terrible disease. But the documentary shed a little bit of light on how creative he is and how creative he was still trying to take pictures. And he still does try to take pictures and find workarounds for that. And he's got an amazing eye. He's still probably the best photographer that I know. And he's uh, shooting photos from his wheelchair now. So that's why that 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 documentary was amazing. And if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. What was the name of it and where can people find that one? Yeah, it's uh, Strongest I'll Ever Be. And that was just one of the lines that he talks about in the documentary was in our interviews. He was talking about how like every day it's the strongest that he'll ever be again. And so it's kind of like this idea that it's like every day is like the best that he will get in terms of his strength. And you can Mm -hmm. find that at anthonydoc.com. Anthony, just normally how you spell it, and then doc.com. And you can watch the full um, documentary there. And you can also see all the film festivals that it got into, which was exciting to see as well. They did Uh, good. So what about you, Jeremy? What about what kind of work have you done in the AV world? So I got a degree in computer animation. I originally moved to Atlanta. I was working for a production house for a little while. And then I ended up coming back home. I didn't do anything for a little bit. And then I got a job as a lighting designer at a local concert venue. And when I first started, I didn't know anything. And I ended up working there roughly 10 years. I took a little two-year hiatus, so about eight years and uh, doing lighting uh, for any of the acts that would come through that didn't have a lighting guy. So I got to see a lot of big bands, a lot of real awesome music, and I learned a lot about lighting. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And then I, after that, I started freelancing. When that club closed down, I started doing AV work around town um, for like corporate events, for theaters, uh, for other music venues and other concert places around town. And I've been doing that for years now. Like I've been doing that for five or six years. And uh, that's been just amazing because I've got to see a whole wide range of audio and video. I've seen it for theaters, which is a lot different than a live concert ve- venue, which is a lot different from a conf- conference which is also different from like online courses. So uh, yeah, it's it's been a great experience. I, I know lighting, I know video, and I know like cameras. I, I sent you a picture recently of a conference we did with the big Sony camera. Yeah. Um, that was a broadcast camera, which I really haven't got to play around too much with. I was so proud I sent it to Phil. I was like, look at this camera. <laughs> you know, a camera is big when the lens has its own stand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's pretty, that was really cool. Yeah, and it's pretty incredible in our lifetime how far cameras have come. Even, I mean, I'm 28 now. Um, and so from the time when I started getting into video production and just making little videos where I was taking a little digital point-and-shoot camera that took it could take 30-second video clips that I don't know what the quality was. It was definitely not HD, very small resolution, to now where you're shooting 4K video from a cell phone or, or your right. smartphone, it's really crazy and it's much more affordable than ever. And we're kind of living in the golden age of being able to create your own video content. So let's dive into video equipment and then lighting. We're going to go over different types of cameras, uh, styles of video for your classes and which cameras might work best for those. We're going to give you some good tips on uh creating good video composition wise and choosing the right quality and settings. And then we're going to talk a little bit of lighting about lighting and some other software that you might need when you're creating videos. So do you want to just quickly run down the list of uh, camera types and then we can kind of talk about which ones will work best for different styles of video? Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. So First, we have your internal computer uh, camera. Uh, That camera is going to be found like in your laptop. Um, So I have a MacBook and it's got a camera in it. I can record directly from that camera. When you're starting off, um, I believe, will Udemy pass that camera? Have you tried recently? I haven't because I haven't used one in a while. I think it really depends on how you set it up. You you can probably get 
good enough quality with that camera, if you're lighting it, if you're composing well, um, because some internal cam- cameras are as decent as some external webcams. It's just yeah. how you set it up and, and lighting it. So you might have a good one. If you're using a platform like Udemy, they have a test video that you can send in. So you could capture yourself talking and then go ahead and send that in and see if they will approve it. They're usually a little more lenient as far as the video quality versus audio quality, which we talked about last week. So you have your internal camera and then you might get a webcam. Uh, That's something that we're using right now. If you're watching on YouTube or you're watching this video anywhere for the podcast, Phil and I are both using the same camera, actually, the Logitech C920. It's been popular for a long time now. Uh, I looked up recently and I think they've got like a newer version, but it's it's not any better than what we have here. Uh, so this is a camera that I have sitting on top of my monitor. It's hooked up to my desktop. It has better resolution than I would get out of an internal camera. And it gives me some features to be able to control the brightness and contrast and uh, the exposure and different things like that. Uh, then we have uh, DSLR and we have mirrorless cameras. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna wait on that one and pass it off to you because you can probably get a little more technical on the differences between those two. Um, but these are going to be a little more high end camera. They're gonna have a body. They're gonna have interchangeable lenses and so forth. Um, I I bought my DSLR. It's a Canon Rebel that I found at a pawn shop and it works amazing. So. Um, there's like you said, cameras are so popular now that there's a lot of them out there and you can go like to your local pawn shop and look around and you might find, mm-hmm. you know, a pretty good camera that you can use. I, I lucked out and got a great one. I, I'm actually looking for a second one so I can get some different shots. Um, then you have like your point and shoot camera. These are the smaller kind of square cameras that you see. Uh, typically when you're, you know, you see people taking photos or on vacation and they got the little square camera. That's like what we consider a point and shoot. You have your smartphone. So I have an iPhone, which has great uh, video quality in it. The new iPhones actually, like you said, shoot in 4K. You can get software for your phone that will allow you to have more adjustment. You'll be able to focus. You'll be able to change exposure and all those different things. Uh, Then you have your your old style camcorder or or new style camcorder, like you might hold on your shoulder and look around. Uh, And then digital cinema, which I'm not too familiar with. So let me let you take the reins uh, since you have a little more uh, background in some of these and then let's talk about what cameras would you use for the different styles of video that that we create for online courses yeah definitely so backing up to digital and mirrorless cameras uh, these are the basically photo cameras that can shoot video and some nowadays are primarily used as video cameras or have better video features than the photo features even though it still looks like that traditional sort of slr old school body that has like jeremy said the interchangeable lenses and that's really the key point with these cameras that make them look better is you get that more cinematic quality with the interchangeable lenses meaning you can put different types of lenses that have different focal lengths which means that it can be wider or more narrow or more zoomed in you also have all of your manual settings that allow you to adjust the exposure and the brightness of your footage however you want. And one of the primary things is, I'm not going to get into too much detail, I promise, but <laughs> the aperture setting, which allows you to, one of the things that that allows you to have is that blurry background, which is sort of that cinematic quality that you see in Hollywood movies uh, that you don't typically get or didn't get with camcorders or you don't get with smartphones um, or or with your webcam or internal computer and just you no matter what dslr or mirrorless camera you get whether it's like you said a 100 or 200 dollar camera that's used from a pawn shop or they have versions that are four or five thousand dollars plus um the quality is still going to look really good on most of those and most of them shoot 1980, 1920 by 1080p um, quality or resolution, which is sort of the standard HD format. We'll talk more about formats and recording settings um, in a little bit. Uh, But in terms of choosing which one is best, which brand is best, I hate that question. Um, I'm... I know what I like and brands I like. I like Canon. I like... uh, 
Sony. Sony has really come up. Panasonic makes great ones. I Again, for all of these things, I have a list of recommended equipment that I use over at videoschoolonline.com if you go to the resources page. So that's the DSLR and mirrorless cameras. And the only difference between those two or one of the differences between a DSLR and mirrorless camera is the way it works. DSLRs have a mirror that actually opens up when you take the picture or take video. Uh, mirrorless don't, which means mirrorless cameras can generally be smaller and lightweight and great for travel. Um, in terms of camcorders, quickly too, this is another great option for people. They actually make newer camcorders. They're not that popular anymore, uh, but they're great. They might be great for online course creators because you can shoot continuously. A lot of DSLR cameras, they might have like a 15 minute limit or a 30 minute limit. So you can't just record forever, but camcorders generally can record for longer. They also will have the better inputs for audio. So last week we talked all about audio equipment. DSLR cameras generally don't have XLR inputs or the right input for professional microphones, whereas a camcorder might. And some camcorders shoot up to 4K now. Uh, Lastly, the digital cinema camera. This is a step up from what a DSLR or mirrorless camera can do. Um, not necessarily just in terms of the quality of footage, but just the tools and the options you get with that camera. You get your audio inputs, you get tools and buttons that help you with exposure and focus, such as the, it's called zebras or peaking that basically help you adjust your focus and your exposure better and lots of more professional things that you probably won't need to use if you're an online course creator. But I actually purchased a digital cinema camera. It was about the same price as a kind of mid high range DSLR. But I love it because it has those um, XLR inputs where I can just plug my microphone directly into it. It has great autofocus. And the one I'm using is a Canon C100 Mark II. And I purchased this at the end of 2017. And I actually have a video on my YouTube channel about why I purchased it for 2018 and beyond when it doesn't shoot 4K. And that's probably a question you have when you're creating video is, do I need a camera if I'm buying one that shoots 4K? And while in the future, I think everything will eventually be 4K, um, every sort of new content will be in 4K, we are definitely not at a point where you need 4K footage. Most of the world is not going to be watching your footage in 4K. um, And even on Udemy, they recently weren't even... There's different levels of HD quality. um, And I'll just say it's 720p or 1080p, and I'll leave it at that. But you're probably familiar with that if you change your quality settings when you're watching YouTube videos or when you're watching a Udemy course. But up until recently, they only had 720p playback for most courses. And only recently, they've been allowing 1080p. So it's going to be a long time before Udemy even allows uploading and playback of 4K footage. Um, And even on YouTube, where we've had 4K playback for a couple of years, uh, it's still not something that most people are uploading. It's still not something that most people are watching. There's benefits to shooting in 4K in the sense that you can have that extra resolution, meaning you can cut in and zoom in without losing quality. But I can tell that I'm going down a rabbit hole that I could keep talking about (laughs) for many, many hours. So I want to kind of back up and I'm going to pass to Jeremy who can maybe kind of categorize these things a little bit better in terms of what we, we already had an episode about styles of video lessons in terms of you can have talking head, you can have screencasts, you can have demonstrations. But for you, what cameras do you think would work best for these different um, situations? Yeah. And real quick, before we jump into that, I do want to give a shout out to uh, Phil's website. If you go to Video School Online and you click on the blog tab, he has answered a lot of questions as far as cameras and videos are concerned. So there, I'm looking here and there's things on composition, how to buy the best camera lens, how to buy a used camera lens, or how to buy your first DSLR. So if you are interested in learning more about these types of things, settings, types of cameras, types of lenses, I would definitely check out this blog. I've read a lot of these myself and, you know, even 
even today I'm still learning a lot uh, from Phil about what some of these camera settings do, like what is a crop factor? I had no idea what that was before. So when you get a chance, pop on over there to videoschoolonline.com and check out the blog section. So Thanks. basically, you know, we won't be talking too much about screencasts right here because we're talking about cameras. I would say that, you know, any of these cameras are going to work pretty well. Uh, there are going to be some differences. So, for instance, your internal camera or, say, a webcam, that might be really great for, like, a talking head video like we're doing right now. I could do a course where I could have my screencast and I could have maybe a talking head video and I have that either in the shot or I cut back and forth between the two, but that might not be so good if I'm doing a demonstration. So if I'm uh, doing, I always use like cooking as a as a go-to because I just I've watched so many cooking shows before. I just think think about it. You know, if you're doing a a cooking show, um, it's going to be harder to set up your computer or say a webcam in a place where you can capture the actions that you're doing mm -hmm. with your hands. So you might use something. Um, like a, a DSLR or maybe even a camcorder or a point and shoot. Um, I also saw a video one time on Skillshare that was a really great how-to DIY video of using your smartphone where uh, they wanted to shoot a shot looking downwards at her hands creating something. Now for a DSLR, that might be kind of tricky. You're going to have to buy a stand or some special device that will let you turn that at a 90 degree. And then you have the weight of that camera because it's mm -hmm. so heavy with the body and the lens pointing straight down. You can do it, but you might invest a little more money into the equipment to hold that, that camera in position at a downward shot. Whereas this video I was watching, all she did was she stacked up some books she put a wooden shelf across and she took her smartphone and stuck it right on there. Cheap, easy. I have all that stuff in my house right now. So it would be easy for me to do that with my smartphone if I wanted that kind of shot. I would say that these types of cameras, the selection and what you're going to make is going to come down to the quality, um, how much control that camera has. Mm -hmm. And then and then some things like that, you know, are, are you... Do you have a static shot? Like in my room, my talking head camera, it stays up all the time. I never move it. It doesn't move anywhere. It's facing my backdrop. So I use a DSLR there. Um, here I've got my webcam on my computer. When I come sit down, it's ready to go. But if I was out shooting outside, for instance, and I was moving around, I might have to think about what kind of camera. Do I want to be holding my smartphone in my hand and doing that? Do I want to have a, a shoulder camera that might be a little more comfortable? or do I want to have my DSLR where I'm having to point and shoot? Those are some of the things that you want to take in consideration. Is there any that I miss that you can think of? I think what you just said right there is the amount of control you have over the image itself and the ease of that is probably the biggest difference from moving up from like a smartphone to a DSLR or a digital cinema camera. Um, if you're... Uh, like I'll just say a quick story about how recently a friend of ours, Diego Davila, who teaches great online courses, he was asking for a recommendation for a camera and he was choosing between a DSLR or actually Logitech who makes our C920 camera. They came out with the Brio uh, a while back, but a while ago, but it's a 4K capable webcam. So I haven't tested it out. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I'm sure your computer has to be able to record 4K as well. Um, and if you're streaming, you've got to have fast enough internet to do 4K streaming. But he was wondering which one to get. And all of his courses are taught where he's just standing at his desk in his office. And I said, there's no need for you to get a DSLR camera and to, because he was trying to figure out how he could hook that up to his computer, which is possible to actually use a DSLR as a webcam. But the quality you would get would be slightly better, but the 4K web camera is going to be just as, just good. I mean, it's going to be good enough and it's probably going to be, no one's going to question you um, about that camera. So there's instances like that where just using a webcam is fine. I think moving up to, if you don't want to invest a camera in a camera and you want to shoot some talking head videos, 
shooting with a smartphone is sort of the best next thing if you don't have a DSLR camera because you can kind of take it around. Definitely use like an accessory, like a tripod adapter and a tripod that holds a cell phone so it's still, so you're not just holding it out and recording with it or even like a selfie stick might help, but probably isn't as good as they sell cheap phone holders that plug in or that screw into a tripod. Um, the issue with the smartphone is then like the ease of getting that footage from the smartphone onto your computer. Some phones, it's easier just to plug in your phone and just drag and drop files or download files from your computer. Um, but it's not going to be as easy generally as with like a camera like a DSLR or a camcorder mm-hmm. or a di- digital cinema camera where you just take the memory card, plug it into your computer, and then you already have all of that footage. So that workflow also is something you have to take into consideration. Um, but if you also want to think about, you want to think about space too. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if I have a 16 gigabyte, uh, phone, uh, I'm limited on how much I can, I can mm-hmm. put on that phone that I'm shooting. This becomes more important if I'm not at my house. So if I go off site and I'm shooting, you know, in the city or I'm shooting, uh, someone doing a, a karate, um, form or something like that. And I have to go there and I only have my phone while I'm limited to those 16 gigs. Video takes up a lot of space. Mm-hmm. So I might fill that up very quickly. Whereas and having with, to always transfer that and delete and yeah, right. that's such a pain. Whereas a DSLR, my DSLR uses a, an SD card. I can get a 128 gig SD card and I could have five of them in my case. So when I fill one up, I pop it out and put the next one in. Yeah. So those are the little intricacies I think that you really want to pay attention to. I was thinking about the lens of the DSLR. You know, if you were doing something, someone riding a bike or skating or, you know, like karate where they're moving in and out, you're not going to want to have your computer trying to focus and zoom in and out. Where with your DSLR, that's one of the benefits of having that lens is that you can turn and roll that that focus around, yeah. um, which you may not need, but some people might want that. So those are some things to take into consideration. One more thing is low light capability. Smartphones yes. are getting better, but if you're shooting and you don't have a lot of lights or if you're shooting outside in a natural, naturally lit scene, DSLR or mirrorless, mirrorless cameras are great um, at being able to control the exposure, but also just being able to record high quality footage in a lot of different lighting situations. So uh, again, it's kind of like, what's your budget? Start with a webcam. Um, if you want to play around with he- talking head videos, try it out with a smartphone. And then I would re- recommend um, maybe getting a DSLR or mirrorless just because I like the sort of cinematic quality uh, you get it just looks a little bit more professional, I think, with that shallow depth of field and blurry background mm. when you that you get with those. Um, cool. So really quickly, I want to jump to getting good qu- video quality and in terms of settings. I briefly mentioned um, like resolutions in terms of 4K and 1080p and 720p, and these are going to be options on most cameras. And that's the actual size of the video that you're recording. And in general, I recommend shooting or at least editing in 1080p, which is 1920 by 1080. And so for your Udemy courses, for any online course off of Udemy, for YouTube videos, that's kind of the standard that I would say I wouldn't go below that. Um, just because now we're at a point where that is standard someday we're going to be at 4k standard. So there's an argument to be said that maybe you should be recording in 4k and editing 4k, but there's the consideration of not only is that camera maybe more expensive, but the processing power of your computer has to be better. It's going to take the file size is going to be more. You're going to need more hard drive space. It's going to take longer to export and upload mm-hmm. so there's all these consideration considerations now um but in the future it's going to get a lot faster and easier i'm sure um there's different formats that you can record in in terms of the file type generally you're going to be shooting in sort of like a quicktime mp4 format um that's what i would recommend there's mm-hmm. it really depends on the type of camera so i don't really want to dive into formats but if you have I any would say questions mb4 is probably the the standard that and i've tried a couple of formats it just seems like mb4 seems to work 
easier yeah. when editing. I don't know why. I've had problems with like other file types before. Yeah. So if you have any questions about formats, just pop a question into the Facebook group. And then the other setting I'll quickly mention is frame rate. So these are three things you'll probably set on whatever camera you're using, except maybe your webcam. But even your webcam, you might, depending on your software you're using. So frame rate is... Um, how many frames per second are being captured and it's being digitally captured. But if you think back in when people used actual film to record video, it's actually individual pictures that, that the camera is taking or exposing. And so 24 frames per second was sort of the standard for Hollywood. And that is also one reason why Hollywood films look a little bit different than digital cameras nowadays. It, the quality and the style is getting closer and closer. Um, but now with digital formats, you have a few key options here in the States and in many parts of the world, you'll typically shoot at 24 frames. It might be technically 23.976 frames per second or 30 frames, which might be technically 29.97 or 60 or frames, which is technically 59.94 frames per second. So, Again, nerding out a little bit with the video quality stuff, but those are typical formats, and I would recommend either the twenty, the one that's closer to twenty-four or the twenty, the thirty FPS. Um, just because if you're shooting at sixty FPS, that's good for sports and um, and things like that. But sometimes it can look the motion of things can look a little bit weird. Some people like it. I like the more sort of cinematic look with a little bit more bl motion blur that you get with the 24 or the 30 mm -hmm. FPS. If you're in um, Europe and you're filming, 25 is kind of a standard or 30. So I would stay at one of those. Um, any other questions you have about or you think people would have about video quality or anything like that? No, I think that I think you summed it up pretty nice. The the frame rate, uh, just to be a little more clear, is the more frames you have, the basically the smoother of an mm -hmm. image it's going to have as you move across. And a very interesting point you kind of touched on a little bit, but um, people are used to seeing twenty four frames in movies, mm -hmm. and when you see something in sixty frames, it almost looks kind of strange. It's yeah. it's actually a smoother image, and you would think more frames, smoother image is going to be better. Mm -hmm. But it actually looks almost unnatural because we've been watching movies in 24 frames for so long. Like you said, that motion blur and that cinematic effect really comes through. Um, so 60, like you said, is really great if you're doing something where you want to capture a fast action. So mm -hmm. if you're throwing a ball and you want to try to really get to see that ball and not just a blurred image, uh, 60 frames per second is good. Um, so I think that wraps it up. Uh, pretty nicely. Where did you want to move on from here? Let's just talk about a couple quick tips for people setting up their cameras um, in terms of composing your image. The first is the decision if you want to center yourself in the frame or use what's known as the rule of thirds, which means putting yourself on the side of the frame, which generally has a more balanced feel. Um, Studies show that when people look at a, a, a 16 by 9 image or a regular photograph, that the eye is actually not nat naturally drawn to the very center of the frame, but sort of to the side of a frame. And that's why putting your subject on the side of the frame might look better or just feel natural. And it's something that people might not think about, but it might just feel a little bit balanced, more balanced. But there's also an argument for centering, which is... I think lends to people's attention, especially if you're talking directly to the camera, it really focuses the attention of the viewer to you. Um, but also if you're using the rule of thirds, you have space on the side of you to put graphics and things like that. So for your videos, do you generally use one or the other or any other compositional kind of techniques? I, I've experimented with both. I usually center, and it's a personal preference for me, I think, because I like to watch videos. When it's an online course, um, and this is, let's just say that we're not using any graphics. Let's just say it's straight talking. 
when I'm doing an online course, I like it more centered because I feel like it's an instructor that's talking directly to me, kind of like you said. Now, if I wanted to have like bullet points pop up, um, I would use the rule of thirds. Now, mm-hmm. one trick that I learned from you watching one of your courses, which I started implementing lately, which I really enjoy, is I will record centered but then every now and then I will go in the video editing software, shift that that image over a little bit mm-hmm. and crop it and then put in like a colored slide on the, the left or right hand side and lay out those bullet points. I, I saw that in one of your courses. I thought it was a good idea. So I started doing that. Yeah. Um, I think it's kind of preference. Some people are diehard rule of thirds people. Some are diehard centering people. I say just experiment and see what works best for you. Yeah, and pay attention to also how much what's called headroom there is, and that's the space above the top of your head and the top of the frame. You don't want too much and you don't want too little. You don't want to have your head cut off, actually, um, unless you're... I, yeah, I, I'm just gonna say you don't want it. Sometimes this works for <laughs> like filming an interview, or if you're filming a film, an actual film or something. Sometimes you see a shot where you're they're cut really tight into right in the forehead and then below the chin or something like that. But for videos, um, for online courses, you want to have a little bit of space above the head, but you also want your eyes to be not necessarily centered in the frame, but above the center of the frame um, mm-hmm. just generally because if you're a little bit down low and your eyes are centered it means that there's going to be too much headroom above you um, mm-hmm. i actually have a free course so to pitch another thing that i have <laughs> if you go to videoschoolonline.com um, under my courses i have a webcam course that kind of walks through a lot of these steps to make your webcam videos look better um, using things like composition and lighting and things. So that might help if you are interested. And um, also the video production bootcamp that I've mentioned before would also be beneficial. But those are just a couple tips. Um, Obviously, you want to make sure you're lit, you are exposed properly, and so that people can easily see you. Um, Not a lot of harsh shadows is usually good for online videos. And this kind of brings us to the lighting section of this episode. Uh, So we'll quickly go through some lighting types and and then also some specific lights that we will recommend. So you want to run through different lighting types um, and things to consider? Yeah, definitely. And before we begin with this section, I just want to go ahead and say the video and lighting go hand in hand. They are like a marriage. You need to have good lighting to have good video. And you can probably speak a little more on this on the video side, but I think a general rule of thumb is that you want to have more lighting than what you might think you need because it's easier to, you know, gain down and get the shot that you want than it is to gain up because whenever you start trying to add in, you know, um, when you don't have enough lighting coming in, the camera has to compensate for mm-hmm. that. And that's when you get a real grainy feel because the ga- camera's trying to figure out what, what is going on. So it's usually easier to have a lot of light and bring it down than it is to go up. So for instance, like, you know, if, if you're shooting with one light inside, it looks pretty bright and everything looks good. But when you get on camera, it's grainy. When you go outside, um, the sun has the most light of anything and it's a ton of light and you get really awesome looking shots because there's mm-hmm. plenty of light everywhere bouncing all over the place. And so people, I just might wanna... get, people might get the Logitech C920 thinking, oh, this is going to look great. But then they compare it to the video that we're recording right now and they're like, man, mine doesn't look that good. And the main reason why it looks good is because we have a lot of light. Both of us are actually <laughs> using lighting to right. light ourselves. And if we weren't, it would look very grainy, like Jeremy said. Yeah, so so I just want to start off by saying that make sure that you, if when you're having video, lighting is just as important as, say, the camera. Um, so let's talk about the different types of lights. Uh, generally, we start off with the fluorescent bulb. I think it's so funny because I feel like most people go through this progression um, 
because it's the cheapest and easiest and then you get better over time, mm -hmm. which is totally fine. We've all done it. You start off with fluorescent bulbs. Those are the, the incandescents and the types of bulbs that you're going to find around your house. Um, what I did when I started out was I went to Home Depot. I got some of those little work lights with the little silver backings, mm -hmm. and I put some house bulbs in there, and I lit myself up, and it worked fine. Uh, later on, I, I progressed to uh, CFL bulbs. These are the kinds that look like spirals. Mm -hmm. They don't produce as much heat, which is really nice when you're recording because you don't want to be sitting there like dripping in sweat. Uh, they're usually a little more energy efficient, and you can get more temperature control. We'll talk about temperature here in a minute, but I have found CFL bulbs in all ranges of temperatures, which is really nice. Um, after that, I progressed to the LED lights. Those are the lights that I have now. Uh, it's just what it sounds. It's a flat panel with a bunch of LEDs on them, and you can get those in different colors and different temperatures. Those are um, much more cost-effective. They don't pull as much power. They're not hot at all. They're, you know, soft to the touch. They're lightweight, easy to, to, you know, put up and set down. Um, so those are kind of the types of bulbs that we would talk about. Then we talk about, uh, how we set those lights up. Generally they're on some sort of stand. Even when I bought the little work light, I had a stand that I put it on. Um, as I progress and I got the CFL bulbs, I got what's called a, a soft box and the soft box helps it's a cover that goes around the light and it helps diffuse the light. So when you have one bulb and it's coming in and it's hitting you, it creates a really harsh shadow. So what you typically do is you take a, a soft box or an umbrella or some type of diffusion and you cover that light up or you bounce that light around. So instead of having a direct beam hitting you, it's a nice diffused light and it creates soft shadows. This is really good for courses, for talking heads. There might be instances where you want nice hard shadows, but generally when I'm doing a course, I want a nice soft feel so it, it looks natural and it looks comfortable. Um, so those are, we, we can go a little more in depth with umbrellas and soft boxes and, and bounce lighting. Uh, but finally, we also look at the temperature of a light. So we have the bulb, we have the way that we might diffuse it, and then we have the temperature. So the temperature is basically based on um, the actual temperature of a light when you are outside and you have a nice warm light going on, it's going to be different than when you have a fluorescent bulb and it's a, a cool light. Um, so you want to look at the different temperature. Now, LED panels can actually let you change the temperature on them. When you buy a CFL bulb, you are going to buy a bulb that's one temperature or another temperature. So I'm going to pass it back over to you because I know you can talk a little bit more about um, the diffusion and the temperature. So take it away. <laughs> yeah, with temperature, just uh, just to, I guess, clarify or make help people out, um, you probably remember, again, we're talking about like not too long ago, but remember that most people were using the incandescent bulbs that let off that warm yellow light and that is the tungsten light temperature which there is a scale it's called the kelvin scale that goes from zero to ten thousand or more um, but basically it's the range from very warm reddish orange light to actually cool blue light and it's actually funny because on the cool blue side you'll actually get more the sun and daylight and then cloudy light um, is actually cooler than what's like an incandescent um, warm bulb. That doesn't really matter much because your camera is going to be able to read that light and make sure that it reads it properly and colors look the way that they naturally should. And that's really what it's about. This is called white balance and it's making sure that the colors look natural. Um, I guess the only thing that you have to keep in mind is if you're mixing light temperatures. If you're mm. shooting with light that's coming outside from outside and that's like a cooler light and then you also have like a warm incandescent light bulb, one of your old kind of old school light bulbs, you're going to have warm and cool light and so your white balance might look a little off. Some things in the image might be very warm and then some parts might be very cool. And when I say cool, I mean like bluish. But we, the light kits that we recommend are generally going to be LED or fluorescent lights, which are generally cooler lights that match more the outside 
light. And so you won't have to worry about that. In terms of the umbrellas and diffusion, I think that just the main thing I'll say is that you want to diffuse. And usually what you want is the brightest light source, but diffuse. And even what Jeremy said, bouncing your light off of like a ceiling or a bounce card, which is a big white sort of card that you can put against your light, that could be a good idea. When I was filming the photography masterclass recently, we were doing some chats with all three of us on the couch. And instead of having our lights just blasting on us, we actually just bounced the light. We pointed it towards the ceiling, which lit the entire room very soft so that there weren't very harsh shadows on any of us. Because you can tell, and I could probably turn up this light a little bit more, but you would be able to see like how harsh it actually is. But having it soft that softer light is generally what you want. Um, so I guess that's what that those are a few things about lights that I want to cover. Um, yeah, I want to say one more thing uh, about the temperature. Um, the LED panels I have when you when I bought them, they actually say daylight. So the daylight bulbs are in that Kelvin scale on the cooler side. Mm -hmm. um, these LED panels they make have the ability to adjust the color temperatures. Mm -hmm. So there's one panel that'll have uh, 500 uh, cool light bulbs in them, LED light bulbs, and then 500 warm LED light bulbs. And, and I talked about this with Phil um, when I was making this choice on these, these lights. When, when I have 500 and 500, it's great because you can change the color temperature. Now, if you're going to different places, that might be important. If you're shooting outside one day and you want to use your LED panel and you need it cool, you can set it to cool. And then if you go inside and you do a shoot and you need to have a warmer light, well, you can change it on the light and that's great. But I decided not to go with the bi-temperature lights. I went with just the daylight lights because they're always inside at the same place. Mm -hmm. And instead of having 500 cool and 500 warm, I have 1,000 uh, daylight bulbs. Mm -hmm. It gives me a brighter light source. And as we talked about easier uh, earlier, it's easier to have more of a light source and to gain down than it is to gain up. So I went with light bulbs that I get more uh, a brighter intensity from, and I can control that versus having those bi-directional lights. Um, a quick funny story is, uh, you know, if you go outside and for the past however long light bulbs have been around using those incandescent lights, streets have looked yellow. They've had mm -hmm. that orange or yellow glow to them. Well, one night, this was not too long ago, maybe a couple months ago, I walked outside and like Everything just looked so weird. It was like I was going to walk the dog and like I didn't know if I was getting sick or maybe I ate something bad. And I'm looking around. And I'm like, man, just what what is going on? This doesn't feel right. Something's weird. Like, am I in a movie? And it took me a while. Mm -hmm. And then I started paying attention. I'm like, it looks like it's brighter outside. Like, mm. why is it so bright? Well, you know, I can see the street better. And then I realized that the city had come through and they had changed out all of those old orange incandescent bulbs with brand new lights mm. and they were led lights and they were cooler and it was like such a weird thing i was like man what what is happening here they're doing that all they're doing that all over the place and they haven't done that in our town yet but i know it came up um through the city council about changing the lights and mm -hmm. they're there was some sort of study recently that showed there's actually a negative effect of having the cooler lights i'm not sure exactly why that was if it was and maybe it's just because we're born and bred with the warmer lights and so changing it has this negative effect but they are more energy efficient um and that's and they last longer too so that's probably the reason why cities are changing it but yeah. it's pretty it's pretty crazy to see such a change um, across the the world, it's gonna. I think we'll all end end up using LED lights. Um, so the, we're talking a lot about lights, but you mentioned the sun being the brightest light out there, and that's probably the one that I would use first mm -hmm. if you are shooting with talking head videos. Um, even if you set yourself up next to a window and you have the sunlight coming in that could be a great way to light yourself you don't have control much control of it though because you know at night it's going to be dark or during different types of times of day it's going to be it's going to be brighter or darker so that's the only issue with that um but 
that is probably your your first way to light yourself is with natural lighting. Um, there's and also this, this is a good point, real quick, to make. The, you mentioned Diego before um, shooting in front of his webcam, so he had the C920, the same camera you and I are using. And I was watching one of his courses, and I asked him, "I'm like, man, your videos look so good," and I mm-hmm. couldn't figure out why. He's like, "Yeah, I just use the C920," and I'm sitting there going back and forth with him, and then finally he said something like, "Well, I sit next to a window." Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, that's why it looks so much better because I'm trying to, you know, have artificial lights with these panels and he's next to a, a big window letting in a lot of beautiful mm-hmm. sunlight and it just makes the image look so much more better. So I agree with that. If you can use a window or you can use some outside light, even if you have to bounce it around once it gets inside, mm-hmm. it, it definitely helps. Yeah. In terms of setting up your lights, I don't want to really dive too deep into this. There's something called the three-point lighting setup, which is your traditional lighting setup for uh, video production, for interviews, talking head videos. And I have a tutorial on the YouTube channel, on the Video School Online, on videoschoolonline.com. You can search for three-point lighting and find a couple um, diagrams that show the setup. But basically, it's having one big light shining on your subject to light your subject coming from one side then you have another light coming from the other side of the face to fill in any shadows so it's not too harsh and there's not too many shadows and then there's one light that's shining on the back of your subject's head to basically separate your subject from the background um, and also just to define the your subject's um, outline a little bit more and so that's if you search it on YouTube and find someone else's tutorial, that's great too. Um, but that's kind of like the basic setup you might want to start with. Or what I did for a while, and I still do, is I just have two lights coming from both sides of the camera, and I just kind of light myself evenly. And so I don't have a very dramatic lighting setup when I'm shooting my online courses. It's just very even light coming from both sides of the camera and it tends to work good. They also have these ring lights that go around your camera's lens um, that it's like a ring of lights that just shoots a ton of light. And it's great because it's all pointed directly at you and you're looking directly at the camera. So you're very well lit, but it's definitely a style and um, it can look well. I haven't actually used them before, but I've seen a lot of videos with it. Um, It's definitely a style. I'll just I'll just leave it at that, and you I think may like re- it or not. They're really popular around um, makeup YouTubers because I mm-hmm. think it it really gives you an even light, so you don't have such uh, harsh shadows. Sometimes you want shadows; you want to have that definition, uh, so it looks nice. But I know that a lot of the makeup YouTubers use those ring lights because it makes a nice even glow on the face. And then when they do their makeup, you can really see how that's going to look versus like having a bunch of shadows kind of covering that up. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple other tools that we want to um, just mention that might be helpful with lighting. Um, And these are definitely more advanced and That's the light meter and a white balance card. So with a light meter, this is something you might see see on a film set where it's actually reading how much light you're getting from the light source. And so if you're on a film set, you might see the uh, one of the workers walking around with a light meter and they're actually recording from each lighting source how much is coming and they can base how what the settings on their camera should be based off of that. I think it's not something you necessarily need as an online course creator. Your camera will have a light meter within within it, and so it should tell you if you're exposed or not, and you're trying to get pretty much in the middle of that exposure reading. Um, and then there's also white balance cards. With your camera, you can usually set use sort of like a preset um, filter to, or just a preset that says the lights I'm using are tungsten the lights i'm using are daylight um and or i'm outside and it's cloudy or i'm outside and it's sunny or i'm in the shade and that will make the white balance look good Mm -hmm. but there's also a custom way where you can actually set up a white card which you can basically use a white piece of paper so that's why Mm -hmm. i don't think you necessarily need a white a technical white balance card or a gray card is sometimes used but you show it to your camera, you press a button, do some settings, it works differently on different cameras, and the camera is able to tell specifically what white should be, and then based off of that, 
all the other colors kind of fall into place. Mm -hmm. But again, I think it's very advanced, not something that most people are going to need or want for courses. I got into that when I got my DSLR camera. I didn't even worry about it. And then when I got my DSLR, I knew it had a setting. So I started playing around. And like Phil said, it's just the the closer you get your whites to look, the the better all your other colors will look. So uh, if your white looks like it's a little red because you're using an incandescent bulb, then all of your, you know, oranges and reds are going to look a little more red and it might throw off the colors. But just starting out, I, I wouldn't worry too much about that. Um, but as I've progressed in my time, I, I, like you said, use a sheet of paper now just to try to get it close if I can. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, um, wrap up the video uh, episode here with just some different uh, video editors and different types of software or tools that we would use. Um, so what are some ones that you'd recommend? Yeah, definitely. Let's just run through these. The ones that I use, I think on a more advanced level would be Adobe Premiere Pro or Final Cut Pro. Uh, Final Cut's only available for Mac. Um, and so that's kind of like your pro level video editor. But if you're using a... if you're wanting something a little bit more basic. iMovie comes with Macs. Um, I think Windows computers still have like Windows Movie. I don't even know if they have Windows Movie Maker anymore. <laughs> um, but they probably have some sort of basic video editor that comes with it. Um, but for online course creators, I recommend using a screen recording software that also has a video editing part of it. Um, mm-hmm. So. ScreenFlow for Mac is what I use. Um, Camtasia is sort of a comparable program, both available for Mac or PC. Uh, any other ones that you recommend? I know those are a little bit pricier. So Yeah, so I always talk about Screencast-O-Matic just because it was so cheap to get set up with. And it allows you to record the screen, record your uh, camera, like say your webcam, bring in any any footage, and it had a, a basic editor in it. It's really easy to use. So, I mean, Camtasia and ScreenFlow is pretty easy too, but Screencast-O-Matic is really simple to get in there and make edits and make cuts and transitions. Um, so those are some really nice ones to have. Uh, like you said, those screencast softwares will allow you to also record video if you're using an internal camera or webcam. If you're using a DSLR or point shoot, you'll have to bring that footage in on a file and uh, upload it into the software. Um, you can also record your footage if you're using, like, say, your camera software. So I actually found Canon has software that you can hook up to your computer and control your DSLR camera. Um, This is not necessary, but it was kind of nice to have because I was able to actually put the computer close to me and run a cable out to my uh, camera and teleprompter, and I could change the settings uh, while standing in front of the camera. So typically, the issue you run into as a online course creators you're usually by yourself unless yeah. you're lucky and have a partner so <laughs> this is uh this freaks my wife out all the time but i have a daughter and i have a stand and i'll hook up a stand and i'll grab one of her dolls and i'll put the doll on the <laughs> stand and my wife walks in and she just flips out she's like take that thing down <laughs> but but i'll use it to try to get the framing and mm-hmm. the the lighting and stuff and- you know focus and it's kind of hard cuz when you're standing at the camera you try to get everything right and then you record and you find out like you are out of focus mm-hmm. or whatever so i use the canon software now and i can like stand there and i can like adjust the software and then look at the camera and look at the screen and mess around and, and try to get it pretty close uh which is really nice and then the only other software i would recommend um they have like some really awesome software for smartphones now mm-hmm. i've used three or four of them but just for instance one of the ones off the top of my head is called filmic pro mm-hmm. f-i-l-m-i-c pro and that that one's for the iphone i don't know if they have it for android but what it does is it actually uses your iphone camera and gives you all of the settings that you would get on a typical camera. So you can change the aperture and the exposure. You can zoom in and out. You can change the focus. So it, it turns your iPhone into more of an actual camera. And that is some really awesome software. I've used that quite a bit. Nice. 
Well, this is another great episode um, all about cameras and lighting and software that we're using. As I'll remind you that if you want specific cameras that I use and recommend, I've got a list on the resources page over at videoschoolonline.com. Um, and if you have any other questions specifically about your camera or a camera you're thinking about getting or anything like that, make sure you go over to the Online Course Masters Facebook group and pop that question in there and we'd be happy to help. Or if you're in the Online Course Masters group uh, or course itself, uh, we're happy to help there as well. So, Jamery, any last words um, before we let people get out no, of here? <laughs> I think that was a lot of information. Hopefully, we didn't flood you with too much. Uh, like Phil said, pop over into the Facebook group and feel free to ask more questions there. Uh, if you want us to look at your video or listen to your audio, like upload the video and we'll check it out and give you some tips. Cool. Awesome. Jeremy, we'll talk soon. Everyone else listening, thank you so much. Please leave a review and a rating if you haven't done so yet. Really appreciate that. And we'll see you in the next episode, which is going to be an awesome one about time management, work-life balance, and when you should go full-time as an online course creator. It's going to be a fun one, and we'll see you next week. Bye. See ya.